And greetings. Welcome to a special evergreen edition of the Steve Day Show. I am Steve Dace. He's Totters and he is Aaron McIntyre. What do we mean by evergreen? It means that today's show is new, but it is not live. You are getting original content, just not live content. We may not be alive any longer. You never know. Needless to say, we're just not here. Uh, we had to take the day off uh, for a myriad of reasons. Hopefully one of them this time was not a potentially deadly and rare bacteria infection that I once received and hope never happens again. So we have the day off, but we didn't want to leave you hanging, man. We wanted to make sure that you got some original content. So you're getting it today with this special evergreen. Gentlemen, throughout the year 2023, and who knows when you will see this, might be later in 2023. We are taping this on June 25th, 2023, just to give the audience a frame of reference. We may talk about things and reference things that have already occurred or never did. Um, you may see this at some point next year in 2024. Who knows? But throughout the course of the year 2023 thus far, I, I mean, the vo- because the show has grown every year since the last one, and I hope that continues. Like, you don't want to be the show. We didn't grow this year. I guess if you're Ben Shapiro and you have the number one, according to iTunes, conservative podcast, you get to say, we didn't grow this year. Okay. Everybody else, though, <laughs> doesn't want to say, well, we didn't grow this year. So the show has grown every year. Um, and that, that means the volume of notes we have received has, of course, grown with it. And... We so appreciate the feedback that you guys give us. I, I try to read all of them if I can. It's getting harder, again, the, the more the show grows. It's, it's, it's impossible now to respond to them all. I used to respond to all of them. I, I just can't do it any longer. But throughout the course of the year, I have received several notes that either were too long to share on the show during a Feedback Friday, or I thought would, would, would require too long of a response on a feedback Friday and, and pretty much, you know, gobble up a lot of the time. And I've been sending, set, or setting those notes aside, guys, for such a time as this. And today is that day. We are, we are going to discuss some of the notes of either longer input or longer output, maybe both, that I have been saving. But I saved them because I think what they have to say is worthwhile and worthy of us discussing here on the show. But first, a word about our friends over at Eden Pure, their outstanding thunderstorm air purifier that has generated so many five-star reviews online and so many uh, five-star glowing reviews in my inbox since they came on board as one of their partners. Find out why. It's not an air freshener. It's a purifier. It gets rid of the bad stuff that's causing the odors, whether it's cooking, cigarette smoke, litter boxes, trash cans, even that mildew smell in the basement is no match for the thunderstorm air purifier from Eden Pure. And it's also filterless, so you won't be switching out filters out of your own pocket or out of your own time as well. Check it out for yourself. Get uh, the three-unit package for whole home protection and free shipping for under $200 when you go to EdenPureDeals.com and use the discount code Steve. Free shipping and all three units for under 200 bucks when you go to EdenPureDeals, discount code Steve. Once again, head over to EdenPureDeals, discount code Steve. So you guys ready for a special two-hour evergreen feedback, whatever day of the week this eventually runs on? Absolutely. All right. Let us begin with this note from Anthony DeMaio. I started listening to your show in the summer of 2020 during the beginning of the COVID madness. 
I've become a religious listener since because I admire you guys' passion, vision, and your commitment to honoring God with your life and with your show. You seem to be some of the only people in media that understand what time it is and the urgency that a time like this commands, or at least you are among the few with the courage to say so. I am a commercial airline pilot, and I live in southeast Pennsylvania. I'm 40 years old, and my wife and I have five children, all under the age of 13. From day one of the COVID hysteria, I rejected it completely. None of it made any sense to me, so I refused to succumb to the fear and propaganda. What enabled me to reject it so easily was the fact the same people that told me to follow the science were also the same people telling me that men can get pregnant. Working in the airline environment was torturous during the COVID era. Hardly anywhere was more authoritarian with COVID than the airlines and the airports. From the moment you walked into the airport, you were punched in the face with every single angle. The airport loudspeaker yelled at you to wear a mask and stay six feet apart. The ticket agent would harass you. The TSA would follow you up the same. Your gate agent would remind you every 10 seconds about the rules. And then the worst were the flight attendants. Ain't that the truth? They were the most authoritarian, dictatorial people that you could possibly deal with. I refused to wear the mask at all, which brought me all kinds of unwanted attention. Being the only person in an airport not wearing a mask amongst thousands can be intimidating. As time went on, though, I grew more emboldened and grew to love the challenge. Airline crews have their own separate TSA line, and I was routinely stopped and met with TSA supervisors for my disobedience. I had a copy of the TSA security directive document, which outlined the public transportation mask mandate. In the document, it spells out the persons who were exempt from wearing a mask. Airline pilots were exempt because wearing a mask created a hypoxic condition and the FAA regulations prohibit a pilot from operating an aircraft in such a condition. When I would ask the TSA supervisors if they had read the TSA document, not one TSA supervisor told me they had actually read it. To which I would point uh, to which point to which point I would ask them in these exact words. Well, don't you see the problem that you are the TSA supervisor enforcing the TSA document that you have never read? At that point, there was nothing they could say to me and I would just move along. When the vaccine mandates came out, my mind had already been made up. I refused and I also refused to file an exemption. The, exec- exe- the exemption process was egregious and offensive to my soul. I was prepared to lose my job. That part was heartbreaking. This is a job that I love and one that I have devoted my entire life to. I started taking flying lessons at 13. I started working at the local airport at the same age. I gave up a lot of my childhood to pursue this career. I was flying small airplanes by myself before I could drive a car. The thought of losing my job to this madness made my blood boil. Thankfully, through the mandates, I kept my job. God is always good. He saw my way through and gave me the strength to persevere where a lot of my friends succumbed to the pressure and either took the jab or lied about some religious conviction that they didn't actually hold. Now we face a different challenge that the spirit of the age is pushing on us. DEI and ESG are being pushed by all of the airlines with an intensity that is overwhelming. It is one thing for a business to embrace DEI and have their core product or service suffer as a result. It's quite another when a business whose product is, it does this and their product is safety driven. People will die. Crashes will happen and people will die. DEI is being applied to every level of the airline industry. And of course, the most concerning application is in pilot hiring. Traditional standards for new hire pilots are being obliterated in the name of DEI. 
It is truly demonic. We are being told that this is the golden rule and that hiring more trans pilots makes us safer. We are being bludgeoned with DEI propaganda constantly, and it is causing so much division among our employees. I fear for the future of my industry and for the traveling public. I would like to speak with you in more detail about my experience with the COVID madness at the airlines and where this is going. I can think of no one better to discuss this with than you. We have to fight this. I have to fight this. And your show is the perfect platform for it. Anthony DeMeo. So Todd, I'm going to forward you his note. So you have it for the future. Okay. But your thoughts on what he just had to say. I actually think about this uh, quite often. You know, when my, uh, when we're putting this together, uh, when recording this show, it's the uh, day before my wife and daughters all get on a plane together. I, I, these these thoughts now run to my mind. When we go through a big city, you know, uh, big you know, large bridges over rivers. You know, not the craziest Minneapolis. How many years ago was that? Maybe twenty years ago. Remember that bridge? Yeah. Like, where grown men in civilization they they build things they make things work mm-hmm. it's not just planes like what how is when you when your notion of an education is tending to your feelings and not creating a generation of males who like this one you know his was to fly a plane but all kinds like plumbers carpenters steel mace you know you that would be the thing that drove people. It was a frontier of sorts. Even though we don't have physical... There's no more undiscovered country anymore. Mm-hmm. But every new generation, that soul, how, how do you find my meaning and my purpose in worthy work, noble work? You think, yeah, things are going to break. Things are going to break badly because we aren't... We, we, in our comfort, we, we, I've said this before, we think this thing called the first, it's just like, it's arrived. It's on autopilot now. We're at the end of history. No, you got to, every generation afterwards has got to take up the mantle again and do the work. We are a generation that is not willing to do the work. Aaron, I'm particularly intrigued because you have a similar flying interest as Anthony. Um, and so I'm, and, and I, isn't your brother a pilot? I believe in the military yeah, too. Well, yeah, two of my, all of my brothers have okay. aviation background. And I was, did you guys see the video that was going around last week of essentially the infantry version of the Oklahoma drill? Did you guys see this? Yeah. yeah and, I did. and, and the, and the full grown man goes up against the full grown woman and she's pretty big for oh, a woman. Man. The Marine. And yeah. he just, is it the Marines? Yeah. Okay. And he just absolutely mauls her on contact and they have to break it up. Because this would he would have he would have destroyed her. She can't possibly hang with that. What did Riley Gaines say to the Congress last week? Mm-hmm. My husband was pretty mediocre in terms of as a college accolades, in yeah. terms of accolades as a college swimmer. I, I won every accolade you could possibly imagine as a as a college swimmer. Every time we do this competitively, he completely totally dusts me every single time. There was a female deadlifter. I think she's won like Olympics. I saw her tweet about a month ago. My brothers barely work out. You know. And whenever we go and lift together, the, you know, I, I deadlifted 300 pounds or something at the last female. They just blow me away. 
Okay. Your thoughts on this, Aaron? So I just heard a bit from the comedian and actor Rob Schneider talking about one of the major airlines uh, making an effort saying that their main priority is hiring diversity. And he goes on, he concludes the bit by saying, you know what? I'm really tired of all these white guys landing our planes safely. Just really tired of that. (laughs) You know, in previous generations, where the baseline expectation or the baseline of life, society, the fabric that holds us together, the social compact, when the baseline of that was informed by a Judeo-Christian worldview... You, t- you could describe human, human ambition as a lot of things. It would take the shape of a lot of things. But at the bottom line, when that social compact was undergirded by a Judeo-Christian worldview, you could say anything about human ambition that you want, but it was about this. Attaining, or at least attempting to attain, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Everything that Todd just said the crafts that you pursue, no matter how menial or, right. or uh, maybe kind of under the radar they may appear, it was in the pursuit of the good, the true, and the beautiful. But we don't have a social compact undergirded by a Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. It's undergirded by the spirit of the age. So the good, the true, and the beautiful has been replaced by diversity, equity, inclusion, except none of those words mean what they say they mean. Diversity is discrimination against, let's just be honest, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Equity doesn't mean you have the same opportunity. It means you have the same outcome. And inclusion means exclusion, actually, of anything other than those who are sycophants for the spirit of the age. This is fundamentally a spiritual thing. This is not, it's a, it's a lot of things, but fundamentally it is spiritual. One of the mm-hmm. things that it is, is fascism. It is absolutely mm-hmm. fascism. The melding of big business with big government. Essentially, that's what it is. To attain power and control over the masses. But fundamentally, it is a spiritual. It is a spiritual sickness. Because fundamentally, our society, every sector right now, is either under direct threat or completely succumbed to the spirit of the age, a religion. We're no longer trying to find the good, the true, and the beautiful, no matter how you described it. We're trying to find diversity, equity, inclusion, except it's, like I said, it's not any of those things. What this emailer just just diagnosed and just observed is the hands and feet of spiritual sickness. That's the bottom line. Until we start seeing things, until a critical mass of us start seeing things in those terms, until a critical mass of pastors start seeing what's happening around us in those terms, boy, howdy. It's going to, and it already has, it's going to infest things about society, any society, that you would never expect it could, it could infest. Right. That's exactly right. Remember, but and I, and I, can, yeah, can I say one more go. thing? And I want to take off, take off on what Todd said. I don't, I don't want to monopolize the time here, but things, things that you would never expect spiritual sickness to, to actually infect the goods and services <laughs> that we consume 
Absolutely. All creation groans. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. The yep. goods and services that we consume and that we need. What happens when our dollar is devalued? What happens when profit is the only mission of a company? The only mission. Not one of the goals, but the only mission. Those are d different things. Our goods and services decline and decline and decline. Because we can't afford what's good, so we go with what's, what's terrible or what's uh, substandard, both in goods and services. You can apply that to anything that you would like to. Remember, remember when, uh, whether we were talking about gays in the military or women in the military, the, the, the argument that had to be confronted by conservatives who didn't think uh, uh, women should be in, certain, in combat roles or had questions about gays serving in the military, don't ask, don't tell, or women often with the sexy position of pilots. Why, if we can do the job, why can't we do the job? You know, conservatives had to ha have an answer for that. Now, look at that Space Force just like a week ago. It's like, it, we don't even expect you to, like, really be great at flying planes or, you know. They, they, part of their argument out loud is actually, like, not being good at the job. Correct. That's not the important thing. That's D insane. DEI and ESG are exactly what you saw with the COVID jab. That's why Aaron used the term fascism, right? If, if the Biden administration had, had sent government bureaucrats out to impose a jab mandate, line people up and get you injected, that would not have gone well. But that's not what they did, did they? Mm -hmm. No, they just told you it couldn't work and made the, what, what do you get? A, you get to, you know, go to war against Walmart, get to go to war against Costco, Okay, same thing. So you have the so you have the private industry impose what would, would never pass muster politically. Yeah. Same thing is going on here. If they if they openly said, if if they were if they openly said we are imposing standards to make you less safe and make products <laughs> less sustainable, you would have seen the red wedding at the last election that maybe we all thought we deserved and should have already seen anyway. But that's not what they're going to do. They're going to have the private corporations do it. That's fascism. Um, it's it's it's. Avoid accountability. Do things that don't make us accountable directly to the voters. That's what it means. All right. Let's continue. This is from Greg. Greg lives in Mulberry, Arkansas. He says, I turned 55 this year. I've been an electrician for 30 years and it's taken a toll on my body. I've had triple disc replacement in my neck. I'm facing a third lower back surgery. I honestly don't know how much longer I can live with this. The answer should be with my father in heaven, but instead it's my wife of 31 years and my 15-year-old autistic grandson who I would destroy if I committed suicide or died. I had the desire to turn back to Jesus, but now, after almost three years of not being able to work, I'm an alcoholic and I'm addicted to prescription drugs that keep me going because of the constant pain. I look at my country and realize I'm actually part of the problem. I'm asking for prayers. I understand that your plate is full, but I would be grateful. I now live off of others who still actually work, and it's a sickening feeling, and it makes me want to hate myself, hate myself, Steve. I apologize for dropping this on you, someone I've never met. I want to start, Greg, if you're tuned in. I want to start by saying, I am sorry. We live in a sinful world. And things don't always turn out well. The death rate, last I checked, aside from a carpenter from Nazareth, is 100%. We weren't made to die. 
We weren't made to suffer. That was not the plan. But we rebelled against that plan. Thankfully, God has not been passive in the face of our rebellion, but has over and over and over again taken the initiative to bring us back into the light. What I sense in your note is a lack of hope. And hopelessness is the, is the language of the enemy. Futility is never part of God's vocabulary. Even in the midst of judgment, there's the, there's the verse in Jeremiah that gets taken out of context every year by every homeschooled and Christian schooled kid in America. Even in the midst of judgment, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans to prosper you. Even at the ultimate judgment, when the enemy and his minions are cast into the lake of fire, the second death, God's people escape that wrath. There is no futility, Greg, in God's vocabulary. When we start speaking futility into existence, that is the enemy and or his influence upon us speaking through us. Or that is us playing along and making his mission easier because we have allowed ourselves to fall into such a pit. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a pastor. I don't have the professional skill set and qualifications to help you. What I do have for you, though, is something I do think is of value. And I, and I want to say this to not just Greg in the audience, but the entire audience. Male or female. Age, socioeconomic status. If you have ever flirted with hopelessness. I did. I have a few times. Here's what I can tell you. If there is breath in your body and you are still existing on this mortal plane, God still has a plan for you and a purpose for your life. God does not waste any material. All things work together for the glory of God and for those that are called according to his purposes. God doesn't make mistakes. He didn't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, crap. We forgot to call Greg home. Missed that one. No. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is for you, Greg. I don't know what it is for anybody else within the sound of my voice listening right now. I don't know. I am not a prophet. I'm not God. I just have read the book and I know the character of God. And on that authority, I am confident, immensely confident in saying that if you are here and breathing, 
and able to articulate as you just did in your note. There is a purpose for you still. Now here's the challenge. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. You cannot give up asking, seeking, and knocking. You can't do that. That's futility. And that's what the enemy wants. That's his purpose for you. Futility. No purpose at all. Sometimes the purpose is just not to quit. And that's the win in and of itself. I refuse to quit. On faith, I will act and behave as if I believe there is a better purpose for my life than this. But I promise you, if you are here still, and you are breathing, it's because God still has a purpose for your life. Would either, would either one of you like to comment? I would just add one thing in the broad, all the broad strokes. You nailed it. You need to take the guilt completely off your plate uh, for that. The feeling, if I may wrap it up tightly. It, I'm feel, less of a man because well, of my condition. You feel like you're, you're on welfare. Yeah. It is zero shame, zero shame to do a work that supported your family for 30 years for 30 years that broke your body that broke your body and then to have other people whether you know them specifically or generally to help take care of you that you should experience zero shame about that in and of itself now you're just a, you're letting that reality give you excuses to feel the other things that Steve aptly took care of that you are not entitled to because of that situation, but you are you t- under no penalty of guilt whatsoever for for have being being put in a situation through good, hard, honest, worthy work that has inflicted a price, not your fault. Yeah, just to kind of close the whole loop. In the garden, Adam had one job to do, and he failed. And we're still paying the price of that today. But God didn't abandon us. He provided a way of atonement through us. Later on in Genesis, there were probably, I don't know if you know this, six or seven billion people on the planet. It's conceivable there were six or seven billion people on the planet in the days of Noah. And yet, there was only one guy and a few members of his family whom God saw as righteous. He wiped everybody out. He didn't abandon us again. Then in the fullness of time, he sent his son. We chose a murderer over his son and murdered his son. God didn't abandon us. That's the character of God. To put it succinctly, it's the verse that Steve signs off with. John 3, 17. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is the character of God, put succinctly. He never abandons us. We should never choose to abandon him. One second, though, let's talk first about our friends over at the Wellness Company. And this is uh, the company started by Drs. Harvey Risch and Peter McCullough, uh, two of the most respected academics in the history of American medicine, who have also been just tremendous heroes uh, during COVID, uh, despite threats to their careers, integrity, and everything else. And they know that a lot of us are concerned and, and are unaware of really the full damage of of being exposed to the toxic spike protein from COVID, either from the virus itself or from the toxic jab uh, that they created uh, that's just as bad, if not worse, than the virus itself. And so if you are looking to purge that from your system, get the Spike Support Formula. It's a game-changer supplement uh, designed to dissolve COVID spike protein in your bloodstream, uh, and you can get it exclusively at their wellness company, twc.health/steve, and use Steve at checkout for 10% off. TWC Health slash Steve, promo code Steve at checkout for 10% off. All three of us, Greg, are saying the same thing in a different way. You don't get to quit. Jesus carried his broken body with that beam on his back all the way to the end after being tortured to near disfiguration. He didn't quit on you. Don't you dare quit on him or yourself. Steve Day Show. All right, back here on a special evergreen edition of the Steve Day Show, clearing out some of the notes on a feedback, whatever the day of the week that this is airing day clearing out some of the notes that either were too long for a normal feedback Friday or we thought might take too much conversation. But before we get to that, I've got a special treat for you today. It's a wine so rare that it sells out practically every time it's released. It's Bonner Private Wines, Sunai Elagico. It's a Malbec that's a never-before-imported gem from deep in the Kalaki Valley of Argentina at a breathtaking altitude of nearly 9,000 feet, which means it's the third-highest vineyard in the world. What does that mean to you? Well, it means it's highly rated at 91 points, no fining or filtration done, preserving its true natural taste, and it also boasts a staggering 10 times more resveratols than your average red wine out there. You cannot beat it. And Bonner Private Wines is the sole importer of this amazing Malbec. If you want to get a bottle, act fast. It sells out quickly. Don't miss your chance. If you visit BonnerPrivateWines.com slash Steve, B-O-N-N-E-R, BonnerPrivateWines.com slash Steve, and you'll get other wines there for over 50% off as well as free shipping at BonnerPrivateWines.com slash Steve. Let's continue with this note. This one is long from Patrick Johnson, but I, I think it'll be worthwhile. That's why we're sharing it. He wrote this on March 31st, 2023, and he writes, I lost my dad last week. It was sudden and I believe completely avoidable. No, he did not have COVID or die from Vax injury, but I am convinced COVID killed him nonetheless. He was the healthiest 75-year-old you'll ever meet. No medications, no COVID jabs. Seven years ago, he fell off a horse and broke ribs and refused pain meds. He was a tough dude. 
He was having trouble breathing, and we checked his pulse oxygen, and it was in the low 80s. We tested him for COVID, even though he had no other symptoms, and he was negative. He was very wary of going to the hospital due to the COVID death care protocol and did not want to be vented. We convinced him to go to the ER at a corporate hospital in a very affluent section of the DFW area. After we described what was happening to the attending doctor, the first two questions asked were, did he get the COVID vax, and does he want to be put on a ventilator? It seems even in March of 2023, if you come to the ER with breathing issues, they are still following the COVID death care protocol. They even gave him the obligatory low, uh, obligatory low dose of, and I can never pronounce it, dexamethasone, I think it's dexamethasone. Long story short, after an EKG and an x-ray of the lungs, it was determined he was in congestive heart failure. His lungs had some fluid and were very inflamed. His breathing was not improving, so eventually he was put on the BiPAP mask. They told us they could not perform a heart catheter to see what was going on until he could breathe laying down, which to us meant the lungs should be the priority. However, they refused to give him more steroids because they said that would increase his heart rate, which might make his heart fail. So because he said he did not want to be vented, they basically did nothing. He struggled in the mask for two days in the early hours of the third day. The mask was removed so he could pee. For some reason, the attending nurse was not paying attention to his oxygen level and his pulse oxygen fell to 53 and he passed out. At this point, she put the mask back on, but he coded. It was 4 a.m. They got him back after 31 minutes and moved him to the ICU where, ironically, they put him on their beloved ventilator. Two days later, he was gone, having coded two more times and on two separate mornings at 4 a.m. That ICU was a dark place. During our three days waiting there, we mourned as four other families lost their loved ones up until it happened to us. I cannot imagine that prior to COVID, this would have ever happened. An otherwise healthy 75-year-old man comes in with congestive heart failure and he has no chance. In 2023, here are a couple of observations. Number one, COVID is still their sacred cow. Number two, the doctors hide within the silos of their field. The only doctor we saw during this time was the attending physician in the ER the first night. We never saw a cardiologist or a pulmonologist at all. Their instructions were relayed to us by the nurse nursing staff. There does not seem to be any doctors willing to take charge. Risk is used as an excuse to do nothing. It seemed that their inaction was caused by a perceived risk that any other action might cause something bad to happen. You'll get more humanity, care, and love from the cleaning staff than you will from the nurses or doctors in the ICU. Yes, there, are, there were a few really caring nurses, but the majority we interacted with were cold-hearted robots or worse. Once your loved one is on event, they begin a full, a full press on the family to grant uh, do not resuscitate and to remove them from life support. We saw that during COVID too, by the way. Even offering counsel on how to convince holdout family members. Overall, I am disheartened and disgusted with what our health care has become due to Obamacare and COVID. That's an important to link those two. I'll talk about why in a moment. There are many things we would have done differently, and sadly, I will live the rest of my life wondering if that would have made a difference, and dreading the day that my family will be subjugated to the inhumane Borg it has become. My recommendation to the audience, one, if they ask if you or a loved one has been vaxxed, lie and say yes, even if you haven't. Number two, if they ask if they can vent you or your loved one, say yes, but it depends on the situation. Number three, demand to talk to the specialist physicians and get second opinions if you can. Do not take a passive role in the situation, even if you are in a state of shock. Number four, watch your loved one and the attending nursing staff like a hawk. Most will be extremely competent, but it only takes one not to be. Number five, be awake at 4 a.m. That seems to be the witching hour. Sincerely, your loyal viewer and listener, Pat.
I have received so many notes like this as it pertains to COVID, even though this one specifically does not. And who knows? I don't know when this is going to run. Maybe by the time this runs, Donald Trump is president, won the nomination, in prison, was defeated. I, I don't know. But we're taping this on the, on, the, on the anniversary of the day he overturned Roe versus Wade, which is one of the biggest wins of my lifetime, maybe the biggest win. Certainly it's up there with watching the wall come down when we were kids, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it, both of those were shibboleths of the damned, Todd. We got to see both of those shibboleths destroyed in our lifetimes. Yeah. And yet, why, at the time that we're taping this, have I been so merciless on him where COVID is concerned? Because, folks, I have received countless notes like this from countless families. Where COVID is concerned. And the linking of Obamacare that Patrick does here is important. What Obamacare did, more than anything, was it removed individual agency as a default in our healthcare system. Very seldom anymore will you have a, a physician that will actually guide your care. He will follow CDC. He or she will now follow CDC protocols. And unless you're lucky to get a good one, or you know what you're talking about, so you know what questions to ask, they will just follow the protocols from on high, as Obamacare dictates. And that's one of the reasons why I always said that COVID wasn't an outlier, but a harvest. Our healthcare system had to have the humanity taken out of it, corporately. Now, I will say, when I was a thousand miles away, having either a a resumption of the MRSA infection or extremely serious allergic reactions to the meds that I needed to beat the MRSA, and it turned out to thankfully be the latter, I will tell you that that hospital could not have treated me better, and I said that at the time. The irony, though, was... Our friend Shannon Joy and her people used to pick at that hospital. They fired like 25% of their staff for not taking the jab. My good friend Daniel Horowitz stepped in and got one of our COVID doctors who knows a lot about communicable diseases and infections and a lot about MRSA got me on the phone with her while I'm sitting there with 104 degree temperature in this hospital to make sure that I am not being mistreated. One of the key moments of that weekend is the attending ER physician overheard me talking to her in my makeshift room and came in the room. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm totally fine with that confrontation. I was ready for it. But something happened I did not expect. And I'm just going to say that's the Lord, man. He actually wanted to hear what she had to say and got on the phone and they consulted together right there in front of me. He had a humble spirit. And then after the call, we had a very enlightening conversation about how it's been difficult since COVID to keep the esprit de corps in the department together. And people just felt like they were pitted against each other by the system. And 
friends aren't talking to each other. And I mean, no one got into the healthcare field. Let me put it this way. Lots of people get into the healthcare field because it pays well. Okay. No one lasts probably more than a week in an emergency room in any city in America, unless they truly care at some point, at some point truly cared about helping people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're on the front lines. People aren't always the nicest. They're the most scared. If, if you're, if, if you are, Serving, and I know my I, my mom was an ER nurse for a time. If you're serving at, at the, on the front lines of medical care, some somewhere within you, at some point in time, you're you you started doing this because you really just wanted to help people. Because that's that's not the place you go to just sit there and cash checks in the medical field. Fair. Mm-hmm. And after him and I had that talk, man, I got to tell you, I I went out of my way every time a nurse treated me well. Anybody medically there. And the medical department treated us well and was nice to us. I could not have been kinder. And before I even found out if they were going to be nice to us, took the initiative to, you know, this is not the Steve Day's thing. Introduce myself, create small talk. Not how I roll. No. Okay. But I did it here because I wanted them to see. I appreciated that they were there for me and helped me. After the fact, Amy and I spent a good deal of money. Actually, we sent the emergency room a massive goodie bag a couple weeks after I got out of the hospital and came back home. Now, were they very good to me because I was good to them or was I good to them because they were good to me? You know what the answer to that question probably is? Yes. But I say this if you're the frustrated healthcare worker and if you are, I feel you. I, my, I'm a mama's boy. My mama was one of those for many years. If you're Patrick and you've got one of these horror stories, I'm more, trust me, I feel you because I have read this story, uh, something like it, so many times the last few years. I, I, I don't know a way out of this, but I do know, I do know what we can't do. We can't lose our humanity, man. We cannot let them make us turn on each other at this level. We just can't. We have to choose to rise above. We have to choose to love each other and treat each other better. Because the forces in the unseen realm that are creating these sorts of atmospheres within our medical field, trust me, the prime directive is to get us to lose our humanity and turn on each other. And we just can't, we can't give in to that. That's what Jesus means, man. Pour hot coals on your enemy's head. We cannot give in to that. What do you guys think? You know, I, an interesting story was printed, I think a week before we taped this. It was interesting. It was about how our our basic lack of community it happened through one of our blessings and freedoms. Our our ability to n- not be Samwise Gamgee. You recall it's a poignant, beautiful moment at the beginning of the first movie, Fellowship of the Ring, where he's about to go further than he's ever been. At, uh, you know, he's got, he's come to the edge of a farm field. And he said, I, this is the furthest I've ever gone in my entire life. Well, now 
you know, from, you know, my daughters to going to colleges in other states, people picking up and moving. It's, it's very common. I'm going to visit my grandkids in this other state. They talked about uh, with that expansive freedom. We have the one of the costs has been community. You, you just you don't know people uh, who live on your block. You don't know people who are in your church quite often because they're too big. And I, I bring that up because I think this speaks to this. We, we've got to try harder than ever before to overcome that. That whether you are a doctor or whatever you're doing, that's, that's a human being in front of you. It's not a, it's not a distraction. It's not a road bump. It's not a, it's not a disease. It's a human being. Uh, our our comfort and our complacency and our first world problems have way more caustic consequences than we need to understand. I've expressed the week that we're taping this, I think a couple of times off the air, that the temptation that I that I face and succumb to, I'll be honest with you, multiple times, is... Uh, Regardless of what cult we're talking about, whether it's the spirit of the age cult or another cult, is just to go all Jonah on these mofos and just say, have it your way. Uh, God's judgment is coming. You know, start slapping each other with the fish, you know, fish yourself to death, the Jonah uh, VeggieTales version of it. That's not a righteous, that's not a righteous... Um, it's not a righteous thing at all. Not a righteous uh, motive. It's not a righteous um, uh, thought. Because what we're seeing now, and this email spells it out, is that that's, that's actually the other side's. That's mm-hmm. actually their worldview. That's theirs. You are just a widget if you're a human being. You're not made in the image of God. You're just a widget. You're just a number. Right. Especially if you mm-hmm. do, especially if you don't succumb to the spirit of the age, you're less than that. Actually, we can't do it the other way, though. We you're just can't. a healthcare worker. You're just a part of the cog in the machine. You can't yep. do that the other way as well, and that's the temptation that I face on a on a daily basis. Because boy, howdy, do we not have examples? Do we not have things that could justify that in our own human reasoning? Oh, absolutely, we do. But that's not a that's not a righteous that's not righteous indignation at all. That's actually quite from the pit of hell. That's extremely well said. We just can't. Now, I want to make sure this is clear, though, too. If someone is violating your humanity in a position where they signed up to, to help it, to aid it, then that needs to be held accountable. Because we're, yeah. you know, the same God who says, hey, love your neighbors, you love yourselves, also has a hell. Okay, so mercy, grace, accountability, these things all happen simultaneously. All right. So I'm not saying don't call people out when they have broken that compact at all. I am just saying, let us not have an have an, an anticipation of suspicion for one another, which is how we lose our humanity and play right into the enemy's scheme. That's what he wants. We'll come back here with hour two more on a feedback, whatever day of the week this is next.
Back here on Blaze TV radio and podcast, not live, but new. You are listening to an original show. It's just an evergreen here. We are off today, but didn't want to leave you hanging. So you've got new and fresh content. I'm Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He's Aaron McIntyre. And you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, get her Instagram, and TikTok. You can find me as well on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. And the last name is D-E-A-C-E. If you have yet to do so and love the podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Also, please hit subscribe, or if you listen via iTunes, follow. Thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already we are doing a feedback whatever day of the week this eventually airs is day or something like that or day is Um, these are notes that i just thought might have been too long to share during a normal feedback friday or would require too long of a response but we're worthy of uh of doing a show and and having a conversation about so i hope based on what we've talked about so far you agree before we get to that though as painful as this show has been thus far the pain from your inflammation in the joints is probably even worse. And that's why you want to get a hold of our friends at Relief Factor. It is the drug-free, anti-inflammatory we think you're looking for. In fact, we're not going to guarantee anything, but we are going to tell you 70% chance we think that this is what you've been looking for. What do I mean 70% where I get that number from? Well, about 70% of the people over the years that have tried the three-week quick start for just 20 bucks, have seen such outstanding results in just those three weeks that they have stayed long-term. And so that's where we get that 70% number from. See if you don't see a difference in your pain level, in your joints, in three weeks or less, when you go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. What do you got to lose for 20 bucks? Take them up on the offer, relieffactor.com, or call them at 800, the number 4-RELIEF, 800-4-RELIEF. Let's go next to this note. Uh, This is from, let me see here. This is from, where is it? Sorry. Okay. Um, Here we go. Scott DeCristofaro. Scott DeCristofaro. I'm 54 years old. I grew up with Rush in college. I met Rush twice as an audience member on his TV show. Even called in a couple times. Dude, you got through to Rush twice? Did you ever try to call into Rush back in the day? Never. I did in my younger days. Could never get through, man. It was impossible. This guy got through twice. How did he do that? I mean, if you could get through in a rush, that go search for the Holy Grail next, man. That was not easy to do. <laughs> Gotta push both Snurdly's buttons the right way, I guess. I loved Rush, he said, and still do. I miss him and even now get teary eyed writing this to you. I mentioned this to you guys because you guys have, be- have taken his place. Um, and I celebrate when you guys have success, and I'm, and I'm joyful for it. That's very kind, Scott. Thank you. He goes on to say, I also share in the deep concern, pain, righteous indignation that we are overwhelmed with right now. Rush's health went downhill at the beginning of COVID, and I remember listening to you, or to you prior to COVID on days Rush was out. I would always listen to you more and more during COVID, and I'm glad the Lord gifted each of you with the skills to discern truth from fiction, because I think you literally saved lives. You played a role in having the scales fall off the eyes of others, and I believe helped to flame a movement to counter COVID stand. That would, we hope that that is true. That's what we tried to do. So thank you. I mention all this because um, this note is going to further elaborate on how impactful you guys are. My daughter, Allie, is a nursing major and senior at Liberty. My wife, Liberty grad. 
Her education is remarkable, particularly in this day and age. Liberty was also fantastic during COVID, one of the few across the country to be so open. Liberty had no clot shot requirements for students or staff, nor did the hospitals where my daughter conducted her clinicals. Despite her education, when it came time to apply for a job, and she naturally looked close to home, to the bluest, uh, she naturally looked to come home to the bluest of blue regions and areas of Philadelphia and South Jersey. Nursing is a calling, at least for my daughter. And she wanted to work in the ICU. This is a great note to follow up the last one we just did. This is the other side of the story. She wants to work in the ICU with the most critical. She wanted to be personally responsible for caring for their lives and critical needs. This is what I was just talking about. If you're working in an ECU or an ICU or an ER, I almost conflated the term, sorry. If you're working in those areas for more than like a week, maybe sometimes you get stuck there, who knows, and you didn't want to be there. If you're working there for more than a week, man, given what you're, you're on the front lines of human suffering, you're not just doing it for a paycheck. You, on some level, have a commitment to want to be there for people, to help people. Scott says, the hospitals in Philly are exceptional. The Children's Hospital and the University of Pennsylvania, otherwise known as CHOP in in particular. Both of them interviewed my daughter and invited her for in-person interviews. Allie wanted the CHOP job above all else, working with children. She wanted to be, be, be there with those families and those kids and serve them at their most critical time. That said, below is a, is a simple screen of the email Ali sent to CHOP stating that because they required the clot shot and would not honor her exemption, she declined to take the interview any further. Ali had tears prior to sending that email and now has strength, confidence, and empowerment after sending it. Thank you, Steve, Todd, and Aaron. My wife and I have three kids and surrounded by the you must take the shot and we are surrounded by the you must take the shot people. As such, we feel on the best of accomplishments as parents as having refused the shot for our three despite the tremendous peer pressure. You guys played a big role in this. And he includes a note that his daughter sent. Why in the world? Why in the world? If she's just graduating from nursing school, what do you think she is? Probably 23, 24, 25, somewhere in there probably. Okay. Let's just assume the shot actually did anything for a second. Let's just assume. What would be the purpose in demanding that young women of childbearing age be required to take an experimental shot given the the, the exceedingly low risk COVID presents to them? What would it be? There would not be one. Now, let's factor in what we do know about the shot and ask the same question again. There is none. The Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania, does, and, and others like it, are not requiring this of people like Scott's daughter, Allie, out of any safety concerns. None. If they really believe that, then don't go work there. They're quacks. That's not why. We know why. It's the same reason why they required it in the military. It is a test of compliance, folks. Will you let out? Al- will you let Alfie Evans die? Remember that case in England? Remember yeah. that one? Yes. And remember, we marveled that no one resigned. Yeah. No one said I'm not. I, no, no one called in sick. And, and went to the media and said, I'm not taking part in starving a kid to death. 
No one quit their jobs. No one resigned. That's, that's why. The number one reason for the mandate of the shot. Now, I think there's all kinds of reasons for the shot themselves, and I don't think any of the reasons have anything to do with COVID. At best, you could say they, they rushed this process and hurried it up because they, they, they were concerned that they had done such a good job of scaring the hell out of people that without this working as some kind of fear placebo, nobody would have, we would not have reached critical masses of people willing to go back to normal and society would have essentially shut down. That's the best thing you could say. That's not good. And that's not good. <laughs> the best thing you can say is they were so good at scaring the hell out of people, they realized, oh bleep, we're going to probably have to risk poisoning them now to get them to come back out of their homes and go back. We got rid of Trump. We got to get back to real life at some point here. You know, that's the best you can say. And all the other possibilities of why they made it are far more insidious. But let me tell you why they did the mandates. Zero percent health. One percent test. One hundred percent test, I should say. Zero percent health. One hundred percent test. It's all a psyop of compliance. The military now knows. Which, which soldiers are more likely to be, quote, just following orders when it comes time to fire on us? They now know. I mean, if you're just completely willing to completely and totally give over your own bodily autonomy at every level, including your conscience, any military worthy of serving in does not ask you to give up your conscience. Prior to COVID, there was a movie made about a conscientious objector who was nominated for Academy Award, a Mel Gibson film. This was a guy who was a pacifist, didn't want to fire on people in World War, didn't want to fire on Nazis even. They still found a way for him to serve. He still served with dignity, with honor. They found some place for him to serve. Now, understand, respect for conscience doesn't mean everybody was nice all the time. That's how we take respect. Is I, I was affirmed and I felt good. That's not what night, that's not what we mean. You're guaranteed no emotional affirmation at all in this life. So get over it. But they did find ways for him to serve his country with distinction, and he did. That's what the movie was about, and it's a true story. We don't want those kinds of people, though, anymore. Conscience out, compliance, all the rage. It's about compliance. Now they know. They did the PSYOP. They ran the the numbers, and... I had, I, I mean, do you know how many people that weren't Christians refused those shots in the military? I promise you that number was exceedingly low. This was a purge. And that's what they did to the healthcare industry too. We have to know. When we say, hey, we need you to go back into that family for a fifth time and convince them to sign that DNR, who will do it? Or who will say, man, I'm not going back out there again. They don't want to just sign off on, a, on the, they don't want to just Terry Shivo their loved one. Come on. Now they know, right? Now mm-hmm. they know. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean that everybody that complied is 100% to say yes in those moments, either in a military or a healthcare uniform, but they are far more likely to say yes than the people who said no, Right. The odds are way greater. That's what it was. 
a compliance test. Almost every remedy of COVID was a compliance test of the general public. Lockdowns, compliance test. We failed. Masks, compliance test. We failed. Everything came after the other to set the stage for the next thing, to condition you. Ultimately, it is hand over your bodily autonomy. Over 75% of American adults took at least one dose of that genetic serum. How many of them under coercion? Again, we failed. Now they know. They know they can push. And we will not push back. Liberty University is the leading evangelical institution of higher learning in the country. If it weren't an evangelical institution, do you think it would have had a jab mandate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would have. Because what did all the other institutions that, that didn't that weren't evangelical, what did they all have? At some point in time. That a jab mandate. And your job is to go, you know this, you live through this. Your job is to go find the exemption. Rather than to rather than to find a way to accommodate you. Your job is to is yeah. to come to us for permission uh, to, to to not be poisoned. I'm not speaking anything you have your family probably hasn't lived for the last fifteen years. No. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. Let's go here next. How are we doing with these so far? Did I pick good ones? Yeah. They're good ones. They're okay. rough. They are rough. Okay. Travis, Fran, and Luke say dear Stephen Todd or Dear Steve Todd and Aaron. I am a 32-year-old man who lost his father at the age of six. My mother spent most of her time juggling multiple jobs just to put food on the table and clothes on my back. Like most kids, I tried my best to fit in and was mostly successful at that. However, fitting in seems to be our problem regarding the spirit of the age. I never used my deceased dad as a crutch, nor did I believe it was a big deal aside from missing him. I had no control of it, and I had a good head on my shoulders. Sure, I knew I missed out on throwing the pigskin around with the old man, but I didn't think it had, a, had an effect on me or my upbringing. Randomly, at the age of six or seven, my mom decided we were going to church. I had no idea what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to act. It was a chore, and if I had asked why, my mother responded with, because I said so. That trend died after probably a year or two, and I grew up a knucklehead, mostly, and, but mostly stayed in line, or just didn't get caught when I did it. As a young adult, I didn't believe in God because it couldn't be proven the way you can prove water is wet. Again, I made decent decisions. I was, quote-unquote, a good person, so I believed I didn't need any religion. I pretty much summed it up as a tool to keep the wicked in line. Fast forward to the Ron Paul revolution and my big awakening. I still wasn't a believer, but it bothered me the way that the masses treated Christians. I, believe, I believed in sticking up for the rights of even the people I disagreed with because I knew if I didn't, my rights eventually would be infringed. I started to listen to you all around COVID as I have tremendous respect for those who have the balls to admit they were, going, they were wrong in light of the truth. And also for Todd's relentless anti-vax stance, I thought it was based, even if I didn't agree. Now that the table is set, I will fast forward to seven months ago when my wife and I had been going through very tough times regarding our relationship. Our marriage was full of fights, arguments, and disagreements from the start. We were mostly unhappily married for five years and getting worse by the day. After a week of zero interaction between us, I prayed to God. I asked him to help our marriage as he saw fit. 
because clearly my way was not working. It was then my life changed. She woke up before me the next day and went into the bathroom for a few minutes. I hear the toilet flush and the footsteps down the hall and back to our room. And she says, I am pregnant. My only response I could, that I could come up with was, I know. I got up and gave her a hug and felt the shackles come off. I felt the weight of a dozen semis lift off our shoulders. I knew we were blessed by the only thing that would repair our marriage, and it came from him. Divine intervention and a true miracle. Our marriage has been transformed. Our relationship with God has been revitalized, and we were blessed with a baby boy uh, who was born in June. I weep as I write this, but you guys need to know the impact you have on your listeners. You and Todd serve sometimes as father figures that I so de- the people like me so desperately needed. A great example. And more importantly, with each day in every episode, I crawled closer to God. And I know now we are in a spiritual war and my wife and I are ready to serve and we will be raising our little baby boy, Luke, to do the same. That one better? Wow. Wow. One key part about that, when he got down on his knees, remember, because he went all in, said, God help me as you see fit yeah there you go that was everything yes it was yes it was because don't help me the way i want don't give me the the outcome i think is best yep i am nothing god and i've proven it over and over again help me as you see fit and miracles happen i want to add something because i don't think you guys will will toot your own horns on this and I don't think I'm going to say anything that my parents would feel embarrassed by here. My dad was a believer when, um, when he and my mom first met. My mom was not. Uh, he, actually led, he actually led my mom to the Lord before they got married. There were a couple of people in the church that I grew up with, uh, an older couple named Dale and Gretchen Miller, and they are, you know, both, both my mom and dad to varying degrees came from broken families. My grandpa on my dad's side committed suicide. I never knew him. Neither did any of my, my siblings. My grandpa on my mom's side, I knew him. Uh, total piece of work. Total piece of work. Very hard worker, but total piece of work. They came from broken families. The people whom I consider to be my spiritual grandparents are actually Dale and Gretchen Miller. Now they had, I think, at least one kid. I think just one kid of their own. But, um, but I don't think any, uh, yeah, they, they didn't have any, any uh, boys. So no, you know, no bloodline to carry on the Miller namesake, if I remember correctly. But boy, howdy. If I can just brag on my own family for a little bit, they have spiritual descendants as they took in my parents when they first got married and basically discipled them and were and were there for us. I remember they uh, hearing the story. They watched all four of my siblings while mom delivered me at the hospital. They they were by all by all accounts like grandparents. They have a huge impact on my life that I didn't even realize until later on in life. Hmm. Now I look at somebody like Todd. Todd's a great father. He's got four daughters. But God's still using him to carry on 
to carry on um, a legacy. And same for you, Steve, as well. My message in, in hearing this, or in, 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 in hearing this email, and kind of the, the part at the end there, if you are an older believer, finish the race well. I don't know what your family life was like. There's always time to take people in under, under your wing, to disciple them, to have spiritual offspring of your own, if you will. Mm-hmm. It is in spite of ourselves that God uses this show and these two guys, and I hope to some extent myself as well, for that purpose. And I just need to add that in there because I, I know you guys won't toot your own horn. Thank you. Very well said. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, you know, I did not have, as you guys well know if you listen to the show, I did not have a great masculine role model growing up. And God, throughout every stage of my life, has strategically put men that I can see now in the right position to help to mentor me to the man I am now. And I just want to repay that. And I know a lot of guys are hurting. I know what it's like to not have a dad say, you're ready, to get you ready. And then say to you, you're ready now. Your turn to lead. I know what that is like. I know what, I know what that does. I know the wound it creates. I know the damage it does. I know how damaged you become and then the damage you inflict upon others because of that. I lived it, both sides of it. I was the damager. I was the damagee. I get it. And so that's why I'm passionate about this topic. Plus, frankly, I, I, I think other than our current spiritual decline that is in pandemic stage it is the fulcrum of the collapse of the west is this conversation right here Mm -hmm. it's the it's the flashpoint of it absolutely where do i want to go next um in the time we have left let's go here Ever since you guys read that most badass story, now this is the story of the churches that got together in Idaho when the, I think yeah. it was Idaho, right? When they were going to do the uh, pedo groomer story time hour mm-hmm. and they went up there and occupied all the seats and, and, and made it so they had to essentially shut themselves down. Just We loved that they did that, right? Okay. Ever since that most badass story, I knew exactly what I would do if a drag show for children ever came to my community. Well, it happened a lot sooner than I thought. I'm known in my community as the mama bear. I formed a group of women to stand up against any agendas in our school system that would harm our children. We call ourselves the mama bears of Forsyth County. We've been speaking at our school board meetings for two years now. On March 1st of this year, an anonymous person sent me a picture on my phone of an advertisement for a drag show for children in my community. The advertisement was so disgusting, I didn't even think it was real. And she sent a picture of it, and it's vile. The man organizing the drag show calls himself Mrs. Ivana Humpalot. Yeah, that's right. Drag queens, the drag queen show for kids from Mrs. Ivana Humpalot. I knew exactly what the Lord wanted me to do. The most badass story version 2.0. However, the Lord clearly told me that this is not a mama bear fight. It is for the men. I prayed and asked the Lord to provide the men, then went to work recruiting them. Because of my previous work in the community, I knew a lot of people. I started reaching out to key people and creating a running spreadsheet of men willing to infiltrate the show. The list grew organically as each man knew other men. Then we started having pastors step up. I was in awe watching God work. Within two weeks, we had our first Zoom meeting to strategize. I was then able to hand the lead over to the men. 
This is Deborah stuff right here, guys. While all, the, all, while all this was going on, the women started to buy up the tickets in small batches using fake emails. I, dude, I freaking love this stuff, man. I love it. This is, this is like, if you guys played like a, if you guys like, you know, um, had a college football bowl game after this, you're like, all my loves would be like in this practically, all right? Strategy, chicanery, okay, confrontation, culture war, theology. This is like, this hits, this hits so many of my sweet spots. I can't get enough of stuff like this, all right? The tickets were only $10 each and worth saving a child's innocence. We knew these men were not interested in making money. They were interested in the children, and we were not going to let them have our children. Everything we did was kept off social media so as not to awaken the opposition. Brilliant. We communicated via email, texting, word of mouth. We also had someone on the inside of the drag dude's social media accounts to keep an eye on what he was thinking, saying, and planning. A week before the show, our group had purchased 130 of the 150 tickets sold. Humpalot and his three other men had no idea. We planned to have a large, silent protest outside with prayer and signs while the men infiltrated the inside to protect the children. Some men planned to sit with their backs turned. Some men planned to stand, and some men planned to pray. The goal was to be peaceful, but also to send a strong message. We will not let you mess with our children. Well, six days before the event, Ivana Humpalot canceled the show. Somehow, word got out to Humpalot that a church may have bought up all the tickets. It was the church, actually. We were ecstatic. Not only did God shut this show down, but he had the drag dude do it to himself. Our group didn't stop there. Three days after the kids' drag show was canceled, we rallied at our local board of commissioners meeting and packed the room. We demanded an ordinance be passed, making this kind of an event an adult-only event. But God had even bigger plans. Due to all the negative press and pressure on social media, the local restaurant hosting shows and the drag shows in our community canceled the next two and announced they would no longer host any more shows. To make sure the restaurant owner would not go back on his word, the pastor on our team found out which church the restaurant owner attended and contacted his pastor, guys. Wow. This is the. I'm going to hold up my hand, and there better be a lit cigarette in it right now. All right? Okay. The restaurant owner is now under godly counsel. (laughs) I love this. This might even be better than the first one, guys. We have now decided to form an underground action network of our local churches to be ready for whatever comes next. I hope and pray you share this story to let others know, oh, we're sharing it right now, in fact. God went beyond our expectations and did immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine and him be all the glory. Blessings, Cindy. Before we get to that, though, a word about miracle made sheets. Now, I, I wondered with the cooler fall weather here w- how these sheets would work because they're temperature regulating uh, technology inspired by NASA that uses these silver infused fabrics to make sure your body temperature is cool enough to get a good night's sleep. I mean, it was it was a miracle for me during the summer. We had a very hot summer this year, and yet this is the first time in many years I didn't have to run the ceiling fan at all to supplement the AC because of these sheets. But lo and behold, man, I'm sleeping so good I'm having a hard time getting up in the morning because now I get the best of both worlds. I get the the Miracle-Made sheet regulating my body temp on the bottom end and the snuggly blanket over the top for the the cool weather snuggles. You can't beat it, folks. Try Miracle.com slash Dace. Try Miracle.com slash Dace and you'll get 40% off and an additional discount as well uh, if you go to TryMiracle.com slash Dace and use the promo code Dace. TryMiracle.com slash Dace, promo code Dace. That story is a microcosm of the American spirit. Yes, it is. That, that is America right there. You look at the founding of this country. The founders prayed as if the results were up to God, 
and then acted like the results were up to them. This guy, what was the very beginning of this email? Pray that God would provide men and, 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 and then started acting. That's the spirit of America right yep, there. Yep. For a righteous cause, too. And I want to say something about this. It's really important to understand. I don't want you to take the wrong thing away from it. Was that clever? Sure, at various turns. But please don't think like that. That was some really advanced calculus. You'd, no, 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 no. Above all L. And then it's space bar, space bar, space bar. What it was, it was unapologetic and it was relentless. That's the most important part. Just like, and, and, and obviously so. You're, you're going to do what? Oh, okay. Well, we're us and you can't, you can't beat us. The game is over. We have we still have to, we have to go through the steps, mm-hmm. but the game is over because we're us and you're you. Unfortunately, it keeps going the opposite way in way too many. For every example of this we have, we have ten the other way where we just can't be bothered. Conviction. Yes. When I have been saying the problem is not a, they have a superior plan or right. superior ideology exactly. it's superior conviction yes. that's what you just articulated the conviction it took to pull this off and look what happened the steve day show All right, back here. Maybe I should have saved that note for the end. Glorious. Because that that, that would have been it. That would have been, thank you, Jim Rome, a tremendous way to go out, no doubt about it. Just a quick word first, though, about our friends over at Constitution Wealth. They have helped align so far this year over $10 million of wealth within our audience uh, with your actual conservative values. They understand that it's a false choice. You don't have to put profit and being a profit. Uh, you don't have to put them at odds. Uh, anymore. And they can help you with that knowledge. They can make sure that your productivity, your prosperity, that your hard work and, and God's grace has blessed you with can be put to work for God's kingdom as well. All right. So if you understand we're in a biblical, we're in a culture war of biblical proportions. All right. You want to get an appointment with Constitution Wealth today. Constitutionwealth.com slash Steve is where you can go and get busy in building the parallel economy America desperately needs right now. That's constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. Don't get loaded up on big tech and people who hate you. Constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. Again, constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. All right, next up is this note from David Biddle. I was recently turned on to your show. I'm not just a born-again believer, but a culture warrior as well. I want to share my family story because it is so relevant to what is taking place in our society today. We attend a traditional fundamentalist Southern Baptist church in our town, one that doesn't shy away from any topic and believes word for word word what is written in the Bible. We did everything we thought was right in raising our kids. We attended church weekly and were involved in functions of the church. We supported them a thousand percent in their school functions and extracurricular activities. We prioritized their needs above our wants. My daughter was my world, my sidekick. All throughout high school, she was your typical teenage daughter. She dated a guy from our church during her years in high school, a good, respectful kid from a good family who loved the Lord as well. When 
It came for her to go to college. She went to a school about four hours from home. We weren't worried at all about anything as we felt we had fully equipped her to face the world. Her first year seemed fine. She was still dating the same boy. The summer after the first year, they were more inseparable than ever. Naturally, the discussion started taking place about engagement and marriage. The boy had our blessing as long as he kept the promise to me that both of them would finish college before moving forward beyond that. This is where everything in our world fell apart. After returning to school for the fall semester, unbeknownst to us initially, she got grabbed by the lesbian cult. By November, she had broken up with her boyfriend of five years and was fully immersed in the rainbow cult and was now dating girls. She finally came forward to us and we naturally had the emotions of anger and heartbrokenness. I tried for the better part of a year to talk to her about her decision and she kept insisting it was her choice to do this and she just likes this better. She ended up dating another girl and within a year of her conversion, she was, quote, engaged. She became militant towards us for not embracing her choices. We were getting the typical slurs like homophobes and bigots. She kept insisting we didn't love her because we weren't embracing her. She was filled with anger and rage toward us. It finally got to the point where she told me point blank that if I didn't change my beliefs, then she was done talking to us or having anything to do with us. Steve, she basically demanded we deny our faith. That was demonic words coming from her mouth. In our time, arguing and battling, whatever you want to call it, I have no doubt I didn't handle it perfectly. No doubt said things wrong or handled myself wrong, but one thing I always came back to with her was that she had chosen to enter a lifestyle that she, was always, that she always knew was improper and immoral, that I was going to continue to hope and pray that God would call her back, and until that time came, I was not going to give in. Affirmation is not love, it is condemnation. I told her repeatedly that the most unloving thing I could do as a father was to pave her path to eternal damnation, and if I, as her father, affirmed her choices, that I would have failed her completely. I told her I didn't care if I was the last person on earth who was holding out because I had faith that one day she would come back. And when she did, she would know that, event, that everyone that affirmed her lifestyle had harmed her and I was not going to be one of them. That she would truly know what love is when that day comes because we'll, we'll know that as much as it pained me, because she will know that as much as it pained me to lose my relationship with her then, it was because I didn't want to lose her for eternity. Needless to say, it has been three years. I haven't physically seen or spoken to her in two years. She has my number blocked and moved to another state with the person the government labels as her wife. Steve, all of this stuff is demonic. Satan knows that the family structure is God's greatest weapon on earth against evil. The greatest way Satan can grab dominion is to tear apart families of believers. Parents will do anything for their kids. Almost all parents would not risk losing their relationship with their kids over this. So almost all cave in and affirm. They will have to answer for that one day. This is the hardest thing imaginable. I want to see her and hug her and talk to her badly. Not a day goes by that I don't think about her and my entire demeanor suffers. I only have a handful of family that support my wife and I. My parents kind of do and I have one aunt and her husband and their two adult children and that's it. Everyone else thinks we are wrong and someone even speak to us. I bring this to you because I want it to bring bring you encouragement. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep talking boldly. Never ever I never ever thought something like this could happen to us. And if it can happen to a family like mine, it can truly happen to anyone. So keep sounding the alarm of the evil demonic forces that are capturing our kids and all of society. David. This is not as uncommon of a story as we would wish, unfortunately. I have nothing to add except what David himself said. And I wanted to share this note because I wanted us to be reminded. And there's a reason I read this note after the last one we just read. The level of conviction 
Here. Mr. Or is, or is it Sir Humpalot? Sir Humpalot has a lot of conviction, and, and others like this person have a lot of conviction to infest your children. A lot. A lot of our institutions have a lot of conviction to infest our children. And it's, it, it's going to take a lot of conviction to stop them from doing it. And if, if they have come to the point that they can penetrate the bubble of families, even like the one that David articulated here, understand that this thing has metastasized deeply into our culture. And the only way out is through. I'd urge everybody in our audience to pray for David and families like him to maintain their conviction and that the Lord would reward that in this life or the next. Either of you have any thoughts? And just through all this, you can see how patently obvious the slang that caused a lot of these people that aren't supporting this man was from the beginning, the whole love is love thing because this is a father who's implementing a standard to keep relationship right relationship to keep connection where where is the love from the daughter the casting all people who don't agree with you out into the leper colony people that raised you so this, that whole love is love thing. I mean, the connective tissue of blood. Like he, it's it's, he wasn't your blood father. But Steve, even you'll every once in a while bring a like uh, my. Dave Dace was toxic to me on many levels, but I did learn some things from him. You've met, said this. You know that family. You try, you try to redeem things, the best you can. That's what we learn through family, the people we just have to live with for a while. It's not always possible, but Steve has told you how he found grace even in the seemingly unredeemable. That's what he's learned through real love, God in his life. This whole love is love thing, look what it did. They're the biggest tyrants. Terrorists to truth, beauty, all things. They are destroyers. That's what love is love gets you. Destruction. Christ warned us that this type of dynamics within families would happen for his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you are being I did not come faithful. to bring peace but a sword. Yeah. You are being faithful to Jesus through this incredibly... L- listen, at the time we're taping this, my son Ben, uh, not even two years old, I cannot, I don't want to imagine the day when he's older than this, actually, but I know that day is coming. And even now, I do, I bristle at the thought of him going through something like this, being tempted in the ways and, and following through on that temptation in the ways that your daughter has been. So, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not in your shoes exactly, but I, you know, to some degree, I kind of understand that. But I think each of us here, can think of examples of fathers. I'm thinking of one right now. Of fathers whose family 
whether it's the wife or the children, have gone through something like this, and instead of turning to the direction that you turned, or staying the course that you were on, completely capitulated. And boy, howdy. You want to talk about destruction. That guy's a shell of himself. Not a real person, really. Not a real person. For the sake of family, family unity, has completely sold out. And it's just a, he's a, he's a joke of a male, just a joke of a male. And you would be too, you would be too right now, but by God's grace and props to you, brother, you stayed on the -hmm. narrow path. Amen. Let's close with this one. My father was a boy living in Germany when Hitler came to power. He watched Germany lose itself in madness, supporting Hitler to the country's own ultimate demise. He never asked why God allowed this to happen. My father was from East Prussia. His family had to flee because the Red Army came at the end of World War II and murdered three and a half million East Prussians and displaced 15 million. They were Christian people with their own unique culture that was extinguished. History doesn't even recognize that these events happened. They are forgotten. He never asked why God allowed this to happen. During the war, he was drafted into the Hitler Youth at 15 and ordered to man an anti-aircraft gun. As things turned badly for Germany, he was ordered to be a partisan behind enemy lines. Starving and having no idea if his family was still alive, he managed just barely to avoid capture. He witnessed unspeakable things immediately after the war. He never asked God why, never asked why God allowed this to happen. He found his family living in West Germany and started to rebuild his life and even achieved a university degree there. No one would hire him, though, because of his refugee status. He never asked why God allowed this to happen. He was offered a chance to come to America, assuming he could prove that he had an education, a job lined up, and someone willing to sponsor him. When he came to America, his employer, a farmer, tried to enslave him by providing little food and no pay, knowing he knew little English and couldn't communicate with the authorities. He never asked why God would allow this to happen. He managed to work different jobs until one day during the Korean War, he received a draft notice from the U.S. Army. He survived his second war, refused the GI Bill, but was granted citizenship for his service. When asked why he refused the GI Bill, he said a good American does not take that which he can provide for himself. He never asked why God allowed this to happen. Eventually, with lots of hard work, he managed to do well in America. He took night classes to learn computer programming. He got hired by IBM and worked on the Apollo program to put man on the moon. He got married, had two sons who he raised with the eternal wisdom of God and ancient principles thousands of years old from East Prussia that passed from fathers to sons. He raised his sons to be men toughened to survive with the understanding that it doesn't matter how secure you think you are in your society, it can end much faster than you can imagine. He could have paid for cars and education and all kinds of other luxuries for his sons, but he believed in them and wanted them to earn their own way in life. They were made to work as soon as the law allowed at 14 years old. Since he lived through so much evil, he could easily predicted the creeping collectivist evil that now overwhelms the left or the West. You see, he had seen Nazism and communism up close and personal. He knew this was always the end result since the culture revolution in America started in the late 60s. Such man-made evil doesn't stop. It must be stopped. And America, even then, was too ignorant and decadent to stop it. He passed away in 2018. His sons now witness the undoing of the West that he predicted to us. We do not ask why God allowed this to happen because we live in a fallen world and every one of us deserves condemnation and suffering for our sinful nature. The world is supposed to be broken and given to the devil and his evil. We Christians were warned by Christ to look to heaven, not to the earth. 
My father frequently told his sons that every man will choose something to stand for. Either they will choose in how they live or how they will choose intentionally. Choosing the right thing to stand for is the most important thing you can do in your life. My father's sons chose long ago to stand for Christ and had never let any, never let themselves be swept up in the madness of worshiping another sinner. As Christians, we must all come to Christ like beggars because we believe Christ showers us with forgiveness. Not one sinner is above another. A man dressed up as a woman is not below the pious Christian mother. The drug addicted and lost child is not below the straight A student who goes to church every Sunday. All are miserable, wretched sinners deserving of hell. Now one politician is worthy of the praise and idol worship so many people lavish upon them. There is only one Savior, and he is Jesus Christ. So when it comes to choosing our leaders, it is quite simple. We must seek the one who will most follow Christ, the one who will confront the sin but love the sinners. The one who shows you the path to a better life but doesn't walk it for you, nor demands that you walk it yourself. For one of the greatest freedoms we have is the freedom to fail. I leave you with a prayer that my father, a quote from a prayer that my father frequently shared with us as his sons. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. That is from G. Michael Hoff. We've got about three minutes left. Thoughts? Well, uh, to be remembered in such a way by one's children, there's no better honor. Amen. My goodness. Go forward and do likewise. Look at those little ones in your care. In my case, medium-sized ones. <laughs> and go and do likewise. It's more it's always important. It's certainly as important as ever right now as darkness falls. Amen. And you know, taking off of of the the commentary there about in in God's eyes the the state of our souls not looking down at somebody else because they look different or are even opposed to God's kingdom. That is, that's a difficult, almost impossible, and it is impossible on our own means. It's an impossible thing to have compassion, have true compassion for the people, the armies of the spirit of the age who are set against God and his kingdom. But yet that's that's exactly what we are commanded to do, and, and God bless you. I mean, it's the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote that uh, I always butcher, but it's the narrow way. Ultimately, that's hard, but, but there is no other way at the end of the day. There is not. Was this worthwhile, do you think? Oh, yeah. Yep. I think there were a lot of very poignant things said by our audience with these emails that we shared today and I hope in some way they have convicted, encouraged, inspired you over the course of the last two hours until the next time John 317 